This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. We're here for one purpose and one purpose only. And it's the purpose that God's people are called to live every day. You ready for this? Elevate! That's what it's all about. Whenever we're with our friends, we're going to elevate. On social media, we elevate. With our families, elevate. That's right. Because everything is about him. Thank you guys. You're awesome. Give them a hand. They didn't spill a drop. Great job. The Bible has two purposes. Purpose number one, it gives glory to God. And purpose number two, it's God revealing himself to us so that we can know him. And knowing God is having salvation. Not knowing about God, but having a relationship with God. It gives glory to God and through it we can know him. Now, last week we talked about that whenever we read Scripture and we have a Bible study, anytime we read the Bible, the purpose of reading the Bible and our goal is that we search to understand what is the author saying. Not just what does this mean to me, very subjective kind of Scripture reading, but what is the author trying to say? What does he intend to get across to his audience? So this week, we're going to take that to a whole new level. Now, the Bible is incredible. It was written by men under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I don't even think those who wrote it understood the depths and the layers that the Holy Spirit was inspiring in them. Now, this water represents the truth and the knowledge of God in Scripture. And This rag right here is going to represent reading a chunk of scriptures for a Bible study, right? You guys with me so far? So whenever we read scripture, it's like we're we're taking it out of the hole and we're going to try to find as much truth and knowledge as possible. It's just dripping. And so we read it and we learn a little bit something out of it. And I love this, I love this phrase. I had a teacher that said that scripture is so beautiful that A baby can swim in it, but an elephant can drown. And it's the idea that someone can be brand new or never even even heard about Christ before, but they open up the Bible and they can learn something about who God is. And they can see where God's glory fits into it. They may not know Greek or they may not know uh, the history of the Jews or anything like that, but they open it up for the very first time and they they can find truth in it. And yet... People can spend their entire life studying. They can study every language the Bible was written, and they can learn everything that there is to know, and they can still never get to the bottom layers. In fact, 
the more they know, the more they find underground caverns of truth and of knowledge and of beauty of how great the Word of God is. And so what we're going to do is move from last week's principle of let's, let's read it for what the author is trying to say to us, and let's learn tonight to squeeze just a little bit more out of it. Let's learn to dig just a little bit deeper than just the surface level. And you know what's so cool is I can get the strongest guys in here to come and wring this rag out until they were blue in the face. And the reality is, if you touch the rag, it'd still feel wet. There's still more to learn. And as, as you grow, in Jesus' name, as you grow in passion for the Scripture, may you hunger to have stronger muscles, stronger spiritual muscles to squeeze more, to keep going and keep learning and keep, keep searching and keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And so tonight we're going to look at six principles that are going to strengthen your spiritual study muscles to find deeper layers in Scripture. There's always more depth. And tonight I'm going to use what you guys are familiar with because you studied this last week in e-groups to kind of try to show that there's layers that you might not have seen initially. But because of some of your amazing leaders, I bet you dug into some of them. So let's read what you guys studied last week. It's Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And it's talking about Jesus and his apostles. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did this as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, their their jackets, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd began to spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the Holy Spirit has inspired Matthew to write this. And Matthew intends to communicate something to his readers. The goal of every sincere Christian who takes Scripture seriously should be to squeeze as much out of every passage that we can, to learn as much as we can, because it gives glory to God and because we learn more about Him. But there are problems. There are three problems that I can see off the top of my head. One... This author was writing to an audience back in the day. Like, back, back, back in the day. Like, so we have 2,000 years of gap between this author and this audience and 21st century American us. The second thing I see is that there's an entire culture difference. This is, a large part of this is talking about a Jewish culture that was sprinkled with the Hellenization of Greek thought. And so we we don't think like them. We're in a completely different culture from them. And third, they have a theological worldview that's different than us. They came from a background, which is the Old Testament, and they think completely different than most of us do. And so we have these these serious problems for us to understand what the author is trying to communicate to that 
audience because we're so different from the audience they were writing to. Let's say, for example, and this is kind of fun, let's say you picked up and were totally engrossed in a romantic novel from 1944. And let's say I put an excerpt of this novel up. Are you ready for this? And the excerpt says this, two sentences. Sam was crushed when Barbara didn't show up for their second date. Unknown to him, she was in a long line at the Bare Leg Bar. What is going on in this story? Now, suppose you're the reader. Now, let's say you're like hanging on every word. And your biggest question is, does Barbara like Sam back? Now, the reality is, we're 77 years separated from that culture of 1944 in America. So when we look at this, we're like, is it still up there? Yes. We're like, uh, I don't know. To be honest, it kind of sounds like Sam is like sitting someplace twiddling his thumbs, waiting on Barbara while she's off doing something kind of inappropriate. So let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Let's look at a few key words that if you were part of a different culture might help, help us understand some things. First of all, you might, if you were from a different culture, you look at that word crushed and you're like, wait, while he was waiting, did the ceiling cave in on him? No, no, we understand, right? Crushed means that like his heart was broken. He was emotionally damaged that she didn't show up. He was crushed that she's not there. And then we got, let's be honest, we got to deal with this. What is going on with a bare leg bar? We got to figure out what that is if we're going to understand what's going on, right? So let's look at the culture of 1944. Fashion-wise, women were all wearing knee-length skirts with pantyhose. Also, it's pre-sexual revolution, so modesty was really very important. Historically, what's going on is that the U.S. is right in the heat of World War II. And believe it or not, the factories that made pantyhose and all of the nylon and silk were actually repurposed to make parachutes and socks for the soldiers overseas. So it was actually very, very difficult for women to buy them or find them at all. So a bare leg bar would be for a woman who wanted to keep up the appearance of modesty before she would go out, she would actually color her legs with makeup foundation and even draw a line up the back of her legs to simulate a seam in the fabric. Now, if she didn't want to have, this is a lot of work, so if she didn't want to have to do this every time, she may go to a bare leg bar to have her legs make up. So whenever we read this this statement, we actually learn a lot. First of all, we can recognize that the the first date must have gone really well because they have a second date. His emotional reaction of being crushed says that he liked her a lot and he's hoping that she's interested in him too. But unless we knew what a bare leg bar was, we would miss that Barbara is willing to spend the time and the money to both look modest but also to look nice for him. So we can read this now in, with new vision and realize that the author is strongly implying that Barbara likes Sam back. Because we looked at some keywords, we looked at the culture, and we looked at the historical setting. Now when we read the Bible, there's often a lot more happening than just what's on the surface reading. 
See how the, the meaning changed from what we expected? And sometimes the surface meaning is actually not even what the author was intending for us to get out of it. Now the authors of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have chosen their words very carefully because they're communicating God's word. So what are some ways that we can understand Scripture clearly? What are some ways that we can wring out even more truth and knowledge? And there's three of them that you already know now. There's the keyword analysis, there's the cultural analysis, and there's the historical analysis. But all of these, these three and, the next, and, the, and three more, they all boil down to two very simple questions. So don't get overwhelmed, because it comes down to two questions. And as long as you have these two questions in the back of your mind, you're going to make mileage. And it's simply this. What does the author want me to learn? And what does this teach me about God? If you have those two questions, you're going to make mileage. So don't get too overwhelmed. But if you want to dig deeper, here are six ways that we can study Scripture that we can learn a lot more. The first one is genre analysis. Do you all know what a genre is? Like a genre of music is like country music, rock music, rap music, classical. That's like a different genre. Well, in Scripture, we have poetry, wisdom, epistles, which is writing a letter to somebody. There's history, there's law, there's apocalyptic literature. These are all different kinds of genres. You wouldn't read the book of Acts the same way you read the book of Revelation, right? And so it's very easy, whenever you start reading, to ask yourself, what genre is this? How am I supposed to read it? Is this a parable? If so, then a parable is, is a fictional story that Jesus is telling, and a parable has one singular purpose that it's trying to get across. And so we, we can analyze right away what is it that we're reading. The second one is a cultural analysis. Comprehending the culture and the worldview that the person is writing in and the reader they're writing to helps us understand what's being said. So who wrote it? Who were they writing to? Here's an example. 2 Peter 3.14 says, to Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Now, at a surface level, you can get a lot out of that. Okay, so the Lord wants us to live lives holy, I guess. He wants us to not live for sin, you know? But there's, there's so much more to that if we understand the culture. Because this is a, a nation that every year would try to find a lamb to sacrifice for their sins, and that lamb could not have a spot or blemish. And so Jesus fulfilled being the perfect lamb, being the perfect, holy, sinless human who has called us, and because of his blood, he makes it possible for us to be living sacrifices that are also without spot or blemish. You see the depth there once we understand the culture a little bit? There's also the historical way of looking at it, the historical analysis. When was it written? What was going on in their history? What circumstances was the author in? For example, Exodus 1.8. And there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. You remember that story? Joseph gets his whole family in Egypt. Joseph's like super respected and admired. And then suddenly there's this Pharaoh that comes out of nowhere that's forgotten about Joseph, enslaves his family, and everything turns terrible. But if we know the history, that a tribe called the Hyksos actually conquered Egypt and took over and had a dynasty for hundreds of years, and it happened right about then, it makes sense that there's suddenly a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph and enslaves these people because of a little history. You now know what keyword analysis is. Why did the author use these words? 
What themes is he trying to communicate? Spotting words that repeat? Wow, this word is said three or four times within five or six verses. That's a key word. Grab onto that. Or if there's a word that seems like this understanding is based on this word. For, I'll give you an examples of both. Psalm 136 says the phrase steadfast love 26 times in 26 verses. Whoever wrote Psalm 126 wants us to know that God is full of steadfast love. But if you actually look at the root of that, it comes from the word hesed. And it's one of those tricky words that American authors have no idea how to translate. So in some Bibles, you'll see it says mercy or loving kindness or steadfast love. Now, if we go back and we look at what hesed meant, it brings a whole new depth to the way God feels about us and the way he loves us. Romans 12, 2 uses the word transformed. And the word transformed is only in the New Testament two other places. So those places are going to show us how Paul is saying, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed was used talking about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus, his whole figure changes and he glows and his clothes change colors into being white. And so whenever Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this isn't like molding like clay. This is a metamorphosis of our entire character from the inside out is happening. It gives depth to what we're reading. We're squeezing it just a little bit tighter. And one of the ones that's so important, this is the one I want you to listen to right now. It's called context. Contextual analysis. Every sentence, every verse is not there on accident. And it's connected to the verses before it, and it's connected to the verses after it. And the author is building a case. He's trying to communicate truth, and every verse along the way is a step. And so for us to just grab one of those steps and pull it out and come over here and put it on a coffee mug and study it by itself, we may lose the entire meaning of what this verse means because it's not in the context of what the author is trying to communicate. So we have to be careful when we just grab stuff out of context and we make up our own new theology based on this. We need to recognize what is the author trying to communicate overall and how does this verse fit it? Here's a silly example. Let's say you're watching a presidential nominee debate, right? They have the podiums and they're like sticking their finger out at each other. You guys watch one of those? They're so ridiculous. They're just comedy acts. And let's say that this congressman or the senator is yelling at a congressman and he points his finger over there and he goes, you're only proposing this bill. You're only proposing this bill to manipulate the American people. Thank you very much. Where's a baby for me to kiss? And let's say the congressman bites back at the senator and he says, and he says, you're right, senator. Yeah, I guess he has the same voice. You're right, senator. I just want to take over the world. And so the newspaper article the next day says this, quote, The senator accuses the congressman of manipulating the public, to which the congressman replies, you're right. So it's cut out of context, right? It didn't account for the fact that he was being sarcastic. It didn't account for his use of hyperbole. It didn't even give the whole sentence of what he said. And I know that's a silly example, but we do that with the Bible a lot. We'll just cut this out. And come up with what I think it means instead of looking at the context of what it's saying and what the author is trying to communicate. And then finally, and this one is the most important one, if you only walk out with one tonight, 
remember this one. This is the theological analysis. And based on everything that we've squeezed out, we can ask some of these questions. What would its intended reader get out of it? Can you sum up the purpose in a single sentence? What do we learn about God from this? What do we learn about God's people from this? And how can we apply what we've learned to our life in America 2021? We're studying what we're supposed to learn. What does the author want me to learn? And what does this teach me about God? So let's look at what you guys studied last, last week. And let's just see if we can add some layers. The triumphal entry. We just read it. Jesus comes in on the donkey. They're laying their, their cloaks on the donkey on the ground. They're yelling, Hosanna in the highest. Genre analysis. This is being told, it's called a gospel. And the purpose of a gospel is to be a testimony of what happened. I was there. I saw Jesus. I saw him die. I saw him raised from the grave. I'm giving you an eyewitness testimony that what I'm telling you is true. So the author intends for us to take what he's saying literally. He's not using metaphor. These things happened. Cultural analysis. The Jews were raised looking for a Messiah from God. This coming military power, this king. And Matthew actually gives us some cultural information by quoting the Old Testament. The sign for them to watch out for was a man raised up by God as a king riding a donkey into the gates of Jerusalem. This is what they were to look for. So that's their culture. Historical analysis. Right now, the Jewish people were being ruled rather harshly by the Romans at this time. They hated the Romans. They wanted to throw off Roman possession. Yeah, Roman possession and oppression. There was even an underground movement of rebels against Rome living in the mountains around Jerusalem at this time. When it, something else you need to know about history. When a king came entering into a city, what he rode communicated something to the people. They didn't have mass communication. But if the king came riding in on a horse, it represented military strength because the city, the nation was at war. But if the king came riding in on a donkey, there was no need for military power because the king comes bringing peace. So that's the history. Keyword analysis. Donkey is used three times. That's significant because Matthew wants us to zone in on the donkey. Why? Because the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah is going to come in riding on a donkey. Hosanna. What does that mean? It's used twice. In the same verse, that's significant. It means, oh, save, or oh, save us. So the people are standing by as Jesus comes in on the donkey that they're looking at as this messianic king, and they're yelling, save us, save us, son of David, which is a military king of their history. Does that begin to change things just a little bit of how you read this picture? Context. Matthew just gave the story of the brothers wanting seats of power. Remember that? Jesus, can we sit on your left and right whenever you come into your, your kingdom? Can we have seats of power? And Jesus tells them, no, those who are the greatest are those who make themselves the least, the most humble. The disciples still believe Jesus will come into kingship through military power, but instead he comes humbly. In his kingdom, humility equals strength. So their shouting Hosanna is out of this desire for Jesus to defeat Rome. 
a lot more than they had any concern or, or understanding about their sins being forgiven. This crowd is confused about the ultimate mission of the Messiah. So theological analysis. See how we're like, we're like learning levels? See how beautiful this is? We're just wringing the rag you know, of truth and knowledge out of this. So theological analysis. Knowing all of that, what would its intended reader get out of it? The Jewish reader of Matthew would deduce that Jesus is the foretold Messiah. That the crowds were wrong about his purpose, but his purpose were bigger than they realized. His kingship would bring peace between believers. Peace. Riding on a donkey. It would bring peace between believers and God, and he would free them. He would save them from eternal death, which is far more terrible than just Rome. What do we learn about God from this? God always has been, and he will always be faithful to his promises. And he's much more concerned with our souls than he is with our circumstances, because he sees eternity as reality. He loves us so much, he is willing to humble himself. That's our God. The God of creation, the king of the universe, would humble himself for us out of love. And get this. Revelation shows us that when he returns, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. He'll be riding on a horse, coming in power to judge all of the rebels against him. Can we sum up the purpose of this section in a single sentence? Yes, Jesus is our faithful, loving king who came to save us. What do we learn about God's people from this? (laughs) We're often pretty short-sighted. But if we'll be obedient, we will see him follow through, whether we understand it or not. How can we apply what we've learned to our lives in 2021? One, he's the only way that we can be saved. And out of his love, he made the way. All he asks of us is to be faithful, whether we get it or not. And he'll take care of the rest. And we ought to ask ourselves, what is he asking us to be faithful in today? So all of this was developed through looking at those lenses looking and squeezing each one of these to see what we can learn. So if you want to study and you want to learn even more, there's another thing, and here's your further inquiry. If you want to go learn a whole other style of analysis, it's called structural analysis. And I challenge you to go find out what is structural analysis, how is it useful. It's pretty fascinating whenever you learn it. All right, before we leave, I want to give you a reminder. When you spend time with the Lord, here are sort of like Dom's recommendations for how to pray, how to have a Bible study. By no means are these the only way to do it. I just want to put them out there. Maybe it gives you some structure. I love the idea of praying with these four steps. A-C-T-S, Acts. Adoration, where we spend just a, a minute or two worshiping God, just telling him how awesome he is. Adoration, confession, where we confess to God our sins and we repent. And we're going to, through the, his power, not do those again. And then give thanks. We're going to give praise for what he's done in our lives, for the many gifts he's given us. And then supplication, which is a fancy way of just asking for prayer requests. Lord, these are my needs. These are the people I care about. This is what I'm asking for. So Acts. Then Bible study. Here's a fun way to remember it. If it helps you, great. Soaps, S-O-A-P-S. You begin with the scripture. You read it several times. You get to know the scripture. Get familiar with it. And then observation. Hey, I gave you six ways of observation. But ultimately, you're asking the questions, What does the author want me to learn? And what does this teach me about God? Scripture, observation, application. How can I apply what I've learned to my day today? And then prayer. Pray that God was going to open this up to you. Stretch your mind. 
And then look for a way to share it. What is something simple you can take from this and share it with somebody else? Scripture, observation, application, prayer, and share it. And then finally, I think it's beautiful to close with a few minutes of just meditation where you're just quiet and still and sit in his presence. And then maybe journal. This is what I learned. This is the verses that I thought was so cool. Here's my prayer requests. Here's my praise reports. Recap. We are separated from the authors of the Bible by time and culture. Here are six tools that we can use to understand what they're saying. Genre analysis. How do I read this? Cultural analysis. What's the author's worldview? Historical analysis. What's the historical setting? Keyword analysis. What words are emphasized? Contextual analysis. How does this fit the bigger picture of the passage? Theological analysis. What does it teach me about God? Use the, using these helps us to study the Bible and glorify God more. So here's three challenges for you before we break into e-groups. Number one, I'll get out of the way. Write these six down and stick them in your Bible so that you remember them. Try out just one. Try out just a couple. This is going to be terrible. All right, I officially slid that over without spilling anything. You don't have to do all six every time. Just pick one or two. Just have them in the back of your mind. Write them down in your Bible. Number two, check out the website, blueletterbible.org. This is where you can study those keywords and find out what is the word that it came from and what is the layers, what is the, the, the sliding scale of what this can mean in it. And it's going to open things up. It's called blueletterbible.org. Super cool research, uh, resource. And then challenge number three, have a Bible study this week and apply three of those analysis. And one of them should totally be the theological analysis. We should always go to that. So have fun with that. So does anyone need to take a picture of those six? Or a picture of the challenges? I'll get out of the way so you can do that. And um, you guys good? All right, can you put up the, the recap one more time? The full list? There you go. If you want to take a picture of that, or you want to jot that down in your Bible, cool, cool, cool stuff. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.